Hey everyone, this is Christian Benavides, Digital Content Director at Texas Watch, and I'll be your host for this episode of Texas Tales. In today's episode, Executive Director Ware Wendell sits down with Burl Richards, the President of the Auto Body Association of Texas. They discuss safe vehicle repairs, what you need to know to avoid insurance companies' pressure tactics, and much more. You can find the video version of this in-conversation interview on our YouTube channel. This is Texas Tales. A leader in the fight for auto safety, Burl Richards is the president of the Auto Body Association of Texas. Day in and day out, he takes on the insurance industry to ensure Texas families are protected on our roads. We are so fortunate to have him with us today. I'm Ware Wendell, and this is Burl Richards in conversation. Earl Richards, thank you for joining us on In Conversation. Thank you, Ware. I appreciate the invite. Looking forward to our conversation. Most definitely. You and I have been friends for a number of years now, and we've been down at the Capitol through multiple legislative sessions, fighting for consumers together, shoulder to shoulder. But I wanted to start um, by taking it back to the beginning of ABAT, the Auto Body Association of Texas. Mm-hmm. If you could tell our audience about your mission how ABAC got started, and um, and all the good work that you do today. Sure, absolutely. So about seven years ago, uh, we realized that there's a problem with this, this industry. The problem is um, the shops that are wanting to safely repair vehicles were not getting properly paid or the consumer wasn't getting properly identified from the insurance company. And honestly, we didn't know the rules to the game. We didn't understand why an insurance company would pay or would not pay for specific items. So we felt there was a need for an association so that shops could communicate with each other. And so we could all better understand and help each other uh, help fight for the consumer. So, you know, as a repair facility, our goal is, is to repair that vehicle and we want it to be in the same condition it was before the accident, pre-accident. And the only way to do that is to follow the OEM manufacturer recommended processes and procedures. Unfortunately, there are shops out there that don't follow these procedures. And from the insurance perspective, they only want to indemnify or reimburse the consumer from what they call the prevailing rate or the prevailing processes. But from our perspective, that has nothing to do with the safe repair. Let's just, you have an insurance policy, let's get paid properly. So that goes back to the association. Um, It all started based on safe repairs. It uh, started based on the fact that, you know, we as an industry uh, realize that we're going to have to work together to to get through some of these issues that we're having. So, you know, we want to educate the industry. We want to bring body shops up in the state of Texas. And the only way that you can do that is, is to educate them. We have to go out and we have to through other resources, we'll go to the manufacturer, we'll go to industry leaders, we'll have them come speak, we'll do classes, we get seminars. So we're, we're really, really proud of the success we've had over the last five years. We feel like ABAT has made the industry, the, the collision industry better in the state. And as a result, folks are getting safer repairs done. 
I agree completely. I've really enjoyed getting to meet you, getting to meet so many members of ABAT. And um, I've been so impressed with everyone I've met. You can tell each of the ABAT members are, are really concerned about the consumer and they're concerned about safety. Mm-hmm. Your personal background in the auto repair industry goes back quite a ways. Uh, do I have this right? You got started when you were 12 years old painting cars for your dad? I was, you know, I was probably what we call pulling the trigger, actually painting cars when I was 12. I was, I've been in a round of body shops. I can go as far back as six years old, just going to work for my dad. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's one of those things that kind of gets in your blood, you know? Most definitely. And I got connected with so many of you. Um, I, you came to my attention following a, a big safety issue. This was the Sebashon case. Um, a, a wonderful family who they were caught in a vehicle that turned into a, a death trap um, because the the roof was welded on, I'm sorry, it was glued onto their vehicle when it was supposed to be welded in over a hundred places. They had no way of knowing that. They were the second purchaser. It didn't show up on the Carfax. And, um, and Mrs. Sebashan, Marsha Sebashan has has lobbied with us on, on safety issues, and it's such a privilege to know her. But what I was so interested to see reading the, the press coverage about this case um, was that your members, Burl, were stepping up and saying, we have a safety issue in this industry. You weren't burying your head in the sand. You weren't pretending like there wasn't a problem. Y'all were stepping up and saying, we need to solve this problem, and also highlighting how the insurance companies are creating this this problem by putting pressure tactics on shops to cut corners uh, in in service of insurance industry profits. So that's how I got connected with y'all. And like I said just a minute ago, I've just been so impressed with all of the ABAP members I've met. I've been to your trade show. Uh, I've toured multiple shops, including your shop. I mean, at your shop, you were working on everything from F-150s to, to Teslas. I saw the... I saw like the gold wings up on, on that Tesla when I was touring your shop a yes, couple sir. of years ago. So, I mean, you do it all. Yeah, we do. And that, that in itself, you know, uh, you have to be trained. Not, just because you know how to fix a car don't mean you know how to fix every car. So what we've learned even through the Sebashon has really highlighted the fact you cannot make a repair to a vehicle unless you're following that specific OEM manufacturer's guidelines. The fact is there's roofs out there and at the factory level, they laser weld these roofs. So some of the specifications for a specific roof may say that you need to put 120 welds. Some specifications may actually say that you need to bond it with glue along with SPRs, which is self-piercing rivets, along with welds. So, you know, just because back in the day when we talked about when I was working on cars and painting cars at 12 years old, honestly, we made the repairs the same way to every car. Well, those days are gone. With the technology that's out there today, you know, we have to learn from it. And the Sebashon case was a real big highlight or really a, a situation that happened that opened my eyes personally. And I felt the need to really um, let our board be aware of this as well. And that's how we got to involved with Todd Tracy and the Sebashons, you know, so it's been a learning process for us, but we're trying to sound the alarm bell that, listen, you cannot, absolutely cannot fix every car cookie cutter the way you did back in 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. So that's why it's so important that, that we get reimbursed properly to be able to afford the training, the, the equipment that's necessary to make these repairs. 
Most definitely. These cars have become and trucks have become so much more complex through the years. I mean, you've been in the industry your whole life, really, yes. your whole life. Mm-hmm. And and vehicles today are, are they're rolling computers. Uh, there's so many sensors that I think a lot of consumers are unaware of. And you need those sensors to be checked, especially after a collision to see what what is functioning, what isn't functioning, what needs to be reset on that vehicle so that it functions the next time, if God forbid, you're in another collision. Uh, and parts are so important as well. You've mentioned this term several times, but for the benefit of our audience, OEM, we're talking about original equipment manufacturer, correct? Yes, and so that is correct. This is the way that the car was made when it rolled off the line from the manufacturer. These were the quality of parts that were used when that vehicle was manufactured. And then they've got manuals and, and guidelines and procedures for how to repair that vehicle um, in a very specific way. As you just mentioned, it, it varies from vehicle to vehicle. You can't take a, a cookie cutter approach uh, across cars and trucks today, correct? No, that's that's absolutely correct. And that's that's the attention that we're trying to bring to the industry. And we're saying this this philosophy or this this uh, this policy language that refers to prevailing, that's outdated. We've got to move on past that, just like cars, uh, the technological advancements of these cars have have really outpaced the car from even five, 10, 15 years ago. We need to we need to change the language. We need to change the way that uh, that insurance policies are written so that consumers are protected. And that prevailing language is is outdated. I want to talk about prevailing rate, but before we get to prevailing rate, can you kind of paint a picture for our viewers about what happens with with some insurance companies on some claims when people bring their car and truck in? So so the 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 vehicle gets towed to you, let's say it's been in a collision. And, um, and it's in bad shape and it gets pulled onto your lot. And, and then now the insurance representative, the adjuster needs to come out and inspect that vehicle. And then there's this process where they're talking with you back and forth as the repair professional. You're showing them where there's damage because um, you've already done your own inspection and, and tear down of the vehicle. And, and oftentimes the insurance companies are pushing back and saying either A, oh, it's not that bad or B um, you know, you don't have to use these original equipment parts on this. You can, you can use these aftermarket parts or C you don't need to put that much time into this repair. You can, you can do this a lot faster and a lot cheaper, even though the original equipment manufacturer says you need to follow this 20, these 20 steps, right? They might be saying, well, you know, we're not going to pay you for all that time. You need to figure out a way to get it done in less time. Do I have that right? Are those the main areas of dispute that you often encounter with insurance those, companies? Those are the main area of disputes. You've uh, you've explained it very well. The, the problem is you have these adjusters that are not repair technicians and they're making decisions on how repairs are made and they've never worked on a vehicle. They've, they've never laid hands. And a lot of them that maybe had worked on a vehicle, maybe they worked in a shop 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they have no idea of the advancements in technology and all the safety uh, concerns that are raised today as opposed to repair back in the day. So there is a, what we consider, we call it a friction cost involved now because you're dealing with an uneducated insurance company, which quite honestly is the bill payer. 
You know, and from our perspective, their job is to pay the bill, our job is to repair it properly. And I do believe that we have a we have a duty to provide all the supporting documentation on why we're asking to do something. But, you know, I've had State Farm say before, you know, we don't necessarily always agree with the manufacturer's recommendations. And my point is, look, the manufacturer is the one that built the car, designed the car, crash tested the car, engineered the car. Who better to say how it's repaired? And quite honestly, I'll even take myself out of the equation. Don't take my word for it. Let's take the manufacturer's word for it. One of the ways that insurance companies try to pressure body shops is to get them to use parts that are not up to the same standard as original equipment manufacturer parts. The term like, kind, and quality is often seen. What does that term mean to you, Burl? Um, when a consumer brings their vehicle to you, what are you trying to do in terms of repairing that vehicle to a standard? Well, number one, we want to make sure that the vehicle, again, is, is safe. It's as safe as it was from the day it rolled off the assembly line. So when you start talking about like, kind, and quality, the first thing you're talking about, will that part, does it have the same density? Does it have the same metal thicknesses? And then we also talk about the fit of the part. You know, nobody wants a part that you can, you know, that you've got a gap that's a quarter or half inch wider on one side than they did the other. Then it looks like a workmanship issue on the shop when they come to pick their vehicle up. So safety first. The second part of it is just a cosmetic look of the part. These aftermarket parts are not made with the same specifications that the OEM parts are made from. And we've had the insurance companies even say, or the lobbyists from the insurance companies stand up and testify to say that these aftermarket parts are not crash tested. You know, as through, through ABAT, we have been involved with some of these crash tests. I have personally taken vehicles, put on aftermarket structural parts, had them crash tested, sent it to California, had another vehicle with the same exact repair. We used the OEM parts, and there's a huge difference in the safety component and aspect of that vehicle. They are absolutely not the same parts. Those OEM parts stand up better in a, in a crash, right? They're, they, they don't show as much stress and they're not conveying as much energy into the car. They're, they're standing up to the collision better to put it in layman's terms. Do I have that, that right? That, that is correct. But I'll tell you, even from my perspective years ago, you know, we used the word strong. Well, that, you know, that OEM part is stronger. Well, listen, it's stronger when it's supposed to be, but sometimes that part's not supposed to absorb that energy in a certain way. They want the part to, for lack of a ter ter better term, fold or absorb that energy so that other safety features come into play here. So just because if you if you take a part, and even an aftermarket part that let's just say is heavier and it's thicker and it's stronger than your manufacturer part, well, when that thing's in a collision, that could that could affect the timing of the of the um, that could affect the timing of the airbags. So it could affect the timing of the seat belts. It could affect, the, yes. Yeah, these vehicles are safety systems. They're all integrated, they're all of a piece and they have to work together. And that's why the manufacturer designs it that way. That's why those parts are made in that particular way. Um, you and I worked on a build, Travis Clardy, a representative from, from East Texas, whom we've interviewed on this show, had a bill, House Bill 1131 last session that would have solved this problem. And of course, we've faced a lot of opposition from the insurance companies, and we'll talk about that. But it would have given consumers the ability to choose quality parts and make sure that those are used so that quality repairs happen when they bring their car to a shop of their choice. So uh, we're gonna push that bill again. I want the insurance industry to know that uh, we're not going anywhere. We're coming right back. And we thank Representative Cardi for his leadership 
on this issue. Um, but Burley, you're right. You and Todd Tracy, whom you referenced earlier, who's a leading safety advocate, leading attorney um, in this area, conducted definitive crash tests with a series of vehicles that were the exact same vehicles, except you changed the parts across these different collisions. And the results of those crash tests showed that these uh, aftermarket parts perform differently and they perform worse than the OEM parts. So if I'm in a wreck, I want my body shop to use OEM parts on my car. That's how I'm gonna get a car back in like, kind and quality. Cause the car that I brought you um, had good original parts on it. And I, I'd like original parts when I get my car back. You know, that's, that's, that's exactly right where, and one thing I want to point out when we talk about like, kind and quality, our bill actually defined like, kind and quality. That is part of the issue. No one has defined it. It's a loose term and it's used loosely. And that's, in my opinion, why, uh, why the insurance companies are forcing these generic aftermarket parts down our throat because they say they're like kind and quality, but there's no measurement being done. There's no baseline. No one has defined what it means. And our bill did that, but they, they didn't want that clear definition. They like that wiggle room. That's right. That's right. And, um, you know, if they're going to insist on a part that's not an original part, well, then they better have proof that shows that that, that substitute part um, actually performs in the same way. But if they don't have that proof, they shouldn't be able to slap it on that car or on that truck. Agreed. So let's talk about prevailing rate, because for me, uh, and I've said this before, prevailing rate is really where the rubber meets the road for the consumer and for the repair professional. When we yeah. talk about prevailing rate, yes, we're talking about the cost of the parts. We're talking about how the repair is made and what steps are followed. But then when we get to prevailing rate, we're talking about the labor cost, right? The amount of time and the, the amount of dollars per hour that are spent on making that repair. From the consumer side, as a consumer advocate, I wanna make sure that my body shop is being paid enough to do the job the right way. And that means that you, the repair professional, are investing in your technicians, you are investing in your equipment at your shop. You're sending people to training uh, because these cars and trucks are changing all the time. I've been through your shop. I've been through other ABAT member shops, and I've seen how capital intensive um, the, the auto repair industry is these days. I mean, you have pieces of equipment in your shop that cost, what, $50,000, $100,000? I mean, That's it, right. It, it'll make your eyes water to think about how much money you've got to put into equipment, let alone training your personnel. Yeah. And, you know, I can tell you where when I started my business 25 years ago, uh, you know, you, you start talking about a frame machine and a good frame machine back 25 years ago was $50,000, a, a paint booth, a uh, pressurized baking paint booth, another $50,000 and a, and a, a MIG welder that was $3,000. Um, in today's industry, those numbers don't match up. I mean, because you're gonna be certified and if you choose to go down the path of certification, you're constantly spending money on equipment every, every year. Not only the equipment, but the hundreds of hours of training that each one of your technicians has to have. Sometimes you're sending your, your technicians to another state, you're flying them to another state for two or three or four days, putting them up in a room, they're getting that specialized training, they're coming back. Uh, you're paying subscription fees from the manufacturer. Each manufacturer that you have certifications with, you also have to pay thousands of dollars a year to keep up just to be 
for the certification price, not to mention these different pieces of equipment that's that's coming out, you know, especially with the EV vehicles, the electric vehicles, you know, a lot of this equipment would just blow your mind. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so if the insurance companies won't pay you your cost to repair the vehicle the right way and train your people the right way and invest in the right equipment, the consumer ends up paying that cost in essence. Now, bear in mind, we on the consumer side have already paid a hundred cents on the dollar in our insurance premiums. We right. paid all of that up front. Now we need to pay a deductible as well. And we can't pay 50% of that. We've got to pay a hundred percent of the du- deductible before the insurance company's on the line. So on the consumer side, we've done everything that we're supposed to. We paid all our premiums, all our deductible. We've got our shop in a, in a or we've got our vehicle in a good shop. And now the insurance company is saying, no, I'm not going to pay for this. I'm not going to pay for that. So let's talk about under indemnification. That's a kind of a legal technical term. But what it basically means is that the consumer is not getting what they paid for. And when, when the insurance industry is not paying you, the repair professional, enough because they don't want to pay the, quote, prevailing rate, you have to eat the cost or the consumer has to eat the cost, correct? That, that is correct. And, you know, a, a lot of shops will take the position, well, the consumer, that's their insurance policy. They should have known that before they signed the policy. But let's be honest, we don't all read our policy. I don't read my entire policy. Even if I did, I wouldn't understand three quarters of it. So from my perspective, um, a, a customer shouldn't have to pay the difference over their deductible. That's why they have insurance, to your point. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been on a journey for the last seven years since we started ABAT. Also, you know, uh, speaking to, to, to people like you, they have a really good understanding of not just the insurance code, but, but the laws in general themselves. We've had multiple meetings with the Texas Department of Insurance. And, you know, I, I always say this, in, under, in order to, to play the game, if you're going to play a game, you want to play the win. If you're going to win, you have to understand the rules. Well, I, have, I believe I have a really good understanding of what the rules are now. And I've just got to tell you, we've been sounding the alarm bell to the Texas Department of Insurance. And I'm convinced that the policy language that TDI allows these insurance companies to, to have is straight up an under indemnification issue and nothing's being done about it. I think, I think the insurance policy language needs to be changed. Prevailing, just like LKQ, there's not really a definitive um, uh, explanation as to what prevailing is. And then to make it even worse, you allow this type of language for some insurance companies, for example, in their policy, it says that we determine prevailing based on our survey, yet the Texas Department of Insurance doesn't look at the survey. A lot of, this, a lot of the surveys, they consider them to be uh, proprietary information. They wouldn't give it to them even if they wanted to. You have other insurance policies for major insurance companies that say they get to determine what's prevailing, yet the Texas Department of Insurance, whose job is to regulate insurance companies, and their number one job is to ensure that the consumers, constituents, the folks in Texas are indemnified properly. And these policies are not being looked over. And I'll be honest with you, uh, it's very frustrating because the Texas Department of, of Insurance not only to me do they just have a deaf ear to it, they go out of their way, in my opinion, to protect these insurance companies. And I'm just dumbfounded by it. And it's very disappointing. So on the consumer side, you know, we get a phone call or an email or a letter saying, um, we're only going to reimburse you for this amount for labor. And the, the, the body shop that you've taken your vehicle to wants to charge more than that. 
And they're basically trying to tell the consumer that the body shop is overcharging. But that's not the case because that body shop has come up with their rate. It's a a competitive rate in the marketplace because they're getting paid that rate. And again, it goes into investment. It goes into training equipment. But you mentioned the survey. So some insurance companies supposedly conduct a survey of the marketplace. But the issue is, is that survey accurate? Is it true? Are they casting a wide net? Is the information that's going into that survey uh, truly the amount that, that that body shop charges? Or is it a discounted rate for that insurance company in exchange for that insurance company helping to make sure that business comes through their shop? So, so that's the issue. And the language that you were referencing in the policy says fair and reasonable. Well, that's really, uh, to use a very technical legal term, that's really squishy, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it's fuzzy. And so yeah. we want to make sure that the survey is accurate and that the rates in that, in that marketplace truly reflect the cost of doing business in that area of the state, because it varies around the state. I mean, you talk to repair professionals all over the state, frankly, all over the country, and the, the cost of labor is different. Maybe the parts are, are uh, the cost of parts are different as well. Is that is that correct? No, that's absolutely correct. And we talk about labor and the labor rates are a big deal, but also the paint materials. I can tell you the paint materials are, are made with raw uh, materials. And as gas, gas prices go up and other consumer products, uh, the, the prices go up, the paint materials, the paint materials, I think on average last year went up approximately 18%, which on, in a typical year, that would be about a five or a five and a half percent increase. So imagine being a body shop that's had this major increase in paint materials, but the insurance company says, well, that's not prevailing. We're not going to pay you, right? It's based on this prevailing or this fair and reasonable amount. And a lot of shops, quite honestly, don't know that their rates even went up. But the way that I like to uh, explain this is, you know, look, I'm I'm a a fan of McDonald's. When I want something quick and I'm on a run, I have no problem going through the drive-through and getting that burger at McDonald's because I'm just trying to, you know, fill my stomach here. I'm not looking for a great meal. But if I go somewhere else to a really nice restaurant and I want to take my wife to that restaurant, I'm not going to pay the same amount for that meal that I was going to pay at McDonald's, right? So, you know, you've got your basic McDonald's prices, and then you got your higher-end echelon of, of restaurants prices. Unfortunately, the prevailing seems to be based on that McDonald's pricing, even though the shops have went out and spend that extra money and, and all the training and, and the things that they're doing to, to ensure proper repairs. And we need the Department of Insurance. And just for everybody to understand, the Department of Insurance is the state agency that is supposed to be looking at the insurance industry, they have a duty under our laws to protect the consumer. It says it right there in our insurance code. They're supposed to be the regulator because if you back up and think about insurance, it's not your typical product. Um, We have to buy insurance to drive on our roads legally. Yes. So as a consumer, we, we don't have the option of going without this product. We have to buy the product and that changes normal market forces of supply and demand yes. because um, the demand is insured. It, it's created by these laws. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for the insurance companies, it's kind of like shooting fish in a bar- barrel when they're looking at us as consumers because we got to buy it from one of them. So that's why we need uh, the Department of Insurance to do their job. Um, they're taking on really big, really powerful, uh, very wealthy 
insurance companies and we need them to look under the hood and make sure, okay, if, if the survey is being used to determine what the quote prevailing rate is, again, it's not garbage in, garbage out. The information is, is accurate and true and it reflects the, the actual fair market value of those services in that community. Um, this is an agency that is that is ultimately overseen by the governor, by Greg Abbott. He appoints the commissioner, and then that commissioner runs the agency. Um, like you said, Burl, you've talked to, I don't know what, how many commissioners are you on at this point? You've, I, I think we'll be on our third commissioner, I believe. Number three, and I've been in some of those meetings with you, and we'd like the Department of Insurance to do their job, and we feel like this is really right at the intersection of, of insurance and the consumer, because it comes down to how much money the insurance company is going to spend to make sure that that repair is done the right way and it's done the safe way. Um, so we need TDI to take action. Burl, you and your customers and other ABAT members have filed complaints with uh, Greg Abbott's Department of Insurance for many, many years now. What has your experience been with them? Well, unfortunately, it's not been a great experience on the, on the on the consumer's half, at least from their benefit. So we get these, we typically get these generic responses back from the Texas Department of Insurance that mirror the same response that I've seen in other states like New Jersey, Illinois, California. So these are generic responses that are getting sent back. And typically the response will say something like the Texas Department of Insurance does not regulate body shop rates. Uh, the Texas Department of Insurance doesn't determine what's fair and reasonable. That's something up to a court of law. So the problem is someone shouldn't have to go to court and take two, three, four, five years, because I've seen it happen that long, to dispute $1,000 or $500 or any amount when it comes to getting their vehicle repaired properly. So from my perspective, the Texas Department of Insurance doesn't do a proper investigation. A proper investigation for me would be you would call a consumer the customer and find out exactly what happened, get their side of the story. Then you would talk to the insurance company and then you'd talk to the shop. That's not happening. And unfortunately, when you go to the Texas Department of Insurance, they always want to say, well, bring us evidence of this. We've done it through the years. We've presented it to them on a silver platter. Nothing gets done. I'm, I'm telling I'm telling you right now where and you and, and the folks that are listening to this, I'm convinced that this is a scheme. I'm sorry, but I am. I can't I can't help but think that the fix is in the insurance, the Department of Insurance, from my perspective, is protecting the insurance companies. They're not holding them accountable. They're not protecting the consumer. And that's their number one job. It's, you know, when you send an email or, or something to the Texas Department of Insurance, typically it's a week or two weeks for a response. That's because it has to go through their team of attorneys that they have there at the Texas Department of Insurance to okay what response they send back to you. And it's extremely, extremely frustrating when you feel like there's an entity, a state entity out there that's job is to regulate and protect consumers. And they seem more interested in protecting the insurance companies that they're beholden to than they are protecting those consumers. And I would love for them to prove me wrong. I'd love for the Texas Department of Insurance to get involved here and say, you know what? We have proof. We have we, we've got things that have raised our eyebrows. We're allowing this language and these policies and we're not regulating the insurance companies. We're not checking these surveys. We're not we're not measuring this. That's it's, it's a simple ask from our request. We can't count on the insurance companies to do the right thing. We need TDI to step up and do their job and protect yes. consumers, um, which is what the law says they should be doing. 
let's uh, let's talk about what consumers should know. Um, okay. So the first thing is you as a consumer in Texas have a right to take your vehicle to a body shop of your choice. That's written in the law, but that's not always the way it works in practice, is it? Sometimes consumers can be, and the term is steered, to a particular body shop. And, and I'm convinced that's because some body shops have a really close relationship with certain insurance companies. Can you talk a bit about the relationship that some body shops have with insurance companies and how some consumers may end up at a body shop that's different from the one that um, maybe maybe they, they should be at if they really check sure. the reviews? No, absolutely. So these are called DRP or direct repair facilities. These are direct repair arrangements that the insurance companies have come up with these contracts with these specific body shops. And basically they're, they, they tell the shop, we're gonna refer work to you we're going to refer you. We're going to send work for you. In exchange, you're going to write estimates and repair vehicles uh, based on our metrics. So, you know, I've been involved with some of these DRPs in the past. And what happened, it basically just, it, it suffocated me as a business. I was, I felt I was, I was being held down. I couldn't afford to go out and get some of these certifications and do some of the things I needed to do because as the price of business uh, went up, you're not able just to go up on these direct repair programs. So they measure you. And typically when they're measuring you, the first thing that they look at is the average cost of repair. Not was it done safely? I've never had a, 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 a select service or a direct repair insurance company come to me and say, hey, can you provide us all the documentation to show us that you repaired the vehicle properly or safely? It's always about number one, the cost of repair, the amount of time that that vehicle was in the shop, that's important to them because that drives up their rental expenses and their rental costs, their rental costs. So to me, the whole system is, it's, it's, a, it's a money system. It's all based on profits. And I understand we all have to be profitable. And I, I'm not gonna say that every single insurance company repair program is that way, or if a shop is on a program necessarily that they're not repairing vehicle rights, but I, vehicles properly. But I can tell you predominantly when that shop runs into that agreement with that insurance company, now the insurance company becomes the customer, not the consumer. They're working for the insurance company based on the, the procedures or processes uh, that the insurance company dictates, not the manufacturer. No, that was well said. You know, if you're performing surgery on my vehicle, if you're working on the frame of my vehicle, I don't want that job done, you know, fast and cheap. I want sure. you to do it the right way. I want you to take all the time you need to take so yeah. that my, my vehicle is in a, in a safe state when you give it back to me. Um, yes. The other thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is there is language in many insurance policies that can be helpful in the in the auto context. So I'm talking here about the appraisal clause. Mm -hmm. This is language where if you have a dispute with your insurance company over the cost of the repair or the scope of the repair, how much work needs to be done is basically what I'm talking about there. Um, you have the right to go through a process called appraisal. Can you talk a bit about appraisal and, and how you use appraisal on behalf of your customers? 
Yeah, so the the appraisal clause is is a great option for the consumer if they feel like that they're being under indemnified and the insurance company doesn't want to properly repair their vehicle. The Texas Department of Insurance actually points out that if you have a dispute with your insurance company, one of your options would be your right to appraisal. So what that does is that avoids the expensive, uh, the attorney fees, it avoids the time that it may drag out. Nobody wants their car sitting in a body shop for years until they can figure out if, if a judge thinks that you're being fair or reasonable. So the appraisal clause really expedites that whole scenario. And yes, we let our customers know that if their policy allows the appraisal clause uh, option in there, then we said that that's a great option for you. Because what we can do then is we could repair the vehicle, repair it based on the manufacturer's recommendations. And then it's up to two unbiased third-party adjusters to look the claim over and decide whether or not it's fair and reasonable. So basically, the insurance company would go hire a third-party adjuster. The, the, uh, the customer, the insured, would hire a third-party adjuster. Those two would try to work it out, negotiate, and, and figure it out. If they can't come to an agreement, then they would they would hire an umpire. Or actually, the, the, the customer, the insured, and the insurance company would split the price of the umpire. This is a really, really much faster remedy. And a lot of these vehicles, I'm, I repair the vehicle and deliver them to my customer and let the appraisal clause uh, follow its course. And I accept whatever these third, these two third-party unbiased adjusters come up with. And we typically find that it's extremely fair. It may not be exactly what my repair bill, it could be a little bit less or it could be a little bit more. But the thing I love about it once these two unbiased adjusters come to an agreement, they're actually signing that document and they're they're also somewhat liable for the repair. So if you've got someone that's liable for a repair on, on the way that it got repaired, you would think they would lean towards, you know, proper processes and procedures. And if it has to go to the umpire, just like in baseball, the umpire is calling balls and strikes. They're looking at all the information, figuring out what the proper cost of that repair is what the scope of that repair is, and um, and getting the amount of money on the table necessary to do the job the right way. Uh, you and I both were supporting bills last session. It was House Bill 2534, again, by Representative Travis Clardy and Senate Bill 1706 by Senator Cesar Blanco. That would have made uh, some really great improvements in this area and protected consumers, making sure that they have that right. And I'm seeing that some other states right now are looking into making some improvements in this area, uh, South Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. It is South Carolina. And, you know, I think that's really important because, again, it points to the fact that there's a problem here. There's an issue. This is not just a Texas issue. This is a, an issue nationwide. And the appraisal clause seems like a very, very fair remedy to me because, quite honestly, at the end of the day, you're taking the bill payer somewhat out of the equation. You're even taking my opinion as a repair professional kind of out of the equation to two independent adjusters that are looking, that should be looking at a safe and proper repair based on the manufacturer recommendations that we talked about earlier. So, you know, I've, I've had, my customers have had great success with it. Um, I think it should be in every single policy in the state of Texas. And when we come to one of these friction cost issues or we come to a stalemate where the insurance company just absolutely refuses uh, to pay for a, a proper repair, let that insured go through their right of appraisal. 
Yeah, I mean, we always want to make sure people's rights are protected, that they have the, their right to go to court um, and take a, a dispute before a jury of their peers if, if it requires that. But if the insurance companies are going to put appraisal in the insurance policies, it needs to be fair. Consumers need to know about it. And it needs to perform in ways that gets the consumer and the insurance company and the repair professional to the right number so that you can get that family back on the road and a safe vehicle. I want to end the interview, Burl, with some takeaways for our audience. For consumers out there who need to take their vehicle to, to a repair professional, and they're trying to figure out, like, what's the best shop for me? I've got my insurance company in my ear saying uh, that they like this shop. Well, what are some questions that consumers can ask of shops as they're evaluating different shops? What are some things to look out for um, you mentioned certifications before. I always like to know that the technicians at a shop are certified and that that repair professional really has studied up on my particular vehicle, the manufacturer of my vehicle. But what are some other things that consumers should look out for? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think you have to start there. Number one, okay, where I take my vehicle, is this is this a OEM certified facility? In other words, have they have they been trained on the proper way to repair my vehicle? Or when you get these certifications as a shop, you're also agreeing to abide by those OEM manufacturer recommendation processes. You don't you don't just read them. You're saying we're going to abide by this, right? So I think that's 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 very important. If I was a consumer and an insurance company was trying to I'll just use the word steer me to one of their preferred shops. I would absolutely, uh, I would have warning bells going off in my head to say, okay, and I'm not saying it's a bad shop. It, it might be a great shop, but you still want to ask about the certifications. I would want to ask the shop about their warranty. What kind of warranty do they provide? And and I would also just ask the shop, just come out and ask them, say, listen, now when you repair my vehicle, are you working for me or are you going to work for the insurance company? Are you going to repair my vehicle the way the insurance company tells you to repair it? Or are you going to repair it the way the manufacturer wants it repaired? Mm -hmm. Those are really, really important questions. And I, let me say this, the typical consumer doesn't understand all the safety aspects that are involved in these cars today no one would if you weren't in the business how would you know you know you can i was a painter my dad was a painter i grew up painting cars cars that was my calling card you know a beautiful paint job well you can have the 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 most pristine paint job in the world but what's under the paint right what's underneath what's underneath the sheet metal did the, the, the was the structural repairs done properly you know, was was the was the repair was it even repairable? A lot of these metals that are used today, these high strength steels, they're not repairable. You have the only way you're going to know is if you go to those again. I keep pointing to the OEM guidelines. You could be repairing something that, in your mind, you think it's fine because you've done it this way for years. But when you go to put heat on something or to straighten something that's not repairable, and it's in a subsequent accident, if it doesn't perform properly, now you put somebody's life in danger. So. It's, it's really important to know uh, what kind of repairs the shop's doing. That is excellent information, Burl. Um, and I just want to thank you. And I want to thank all of the ABAT members for being leaders when it comes to safety, for caring about more than just the bottom line, for caring about our families on our roads and making sure that their vehicles are repaired the right way every time. Um, Thank you for fighting the good fight. We at Texas Watch will be fighting it with you at the Capitol. And thank you very much, Burl Richards, for joining us.
today on End Conversation. Thank you, Ware. I appreciate it. I just want to close by also saying how much we appreciate Texas Watch. Uh, we couldn't have the success as association that we're doing without folks like you and Texas Watch uh, covering the back of the, all these consumers. It's, it's really, really important, the job that you do, and, and we appreciate you for that as well. We're in the fight together. Thank you, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you. Texas Watch is a nonprofit, nonpartisan citizen advocacy organization that takes on corporate wrongdoers, fighting to restore responsibility, and protect Texas families. We can't do this work without you. You can support us at texaswatch.org donate. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Please subscribe. And if you like us, please give us the highest rating wherever you get your podcast. Knowledge is power, and there is strength in numbers. Join us. Legislative advertisement paid for by Texas Watch. Wear Window, Executive Director, P.O. Box 42198, Austin, Texas 78704.